For just the second time ever in 62 games, Clemson wins at North Carolina. Boy, that one stings. We need a therapy session. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? It's Isaac Shade. Good to see you even after a loss. Carolina falls to Clemson 80-76 to on Tuesday night inside the Dean Dome. Woof, that's no fun. Carolina falls to 18-5 overall, 10-2 in ACC play. Obviously, the good news is they have that little cushion, that margin, uh, but it does cut the, uh, the lead Carolina has in the ACC down yet again, just like last week after the Georgia Tech loss. Anyway, welcome into this live postcast, Locked on Tar Heels. I'm Isaac Shade, your host. Great to see you all. Come on in. Anytime we have a Carolina loss, we have a therapy session together, so that's what we're going to do. If you're not part of the Locked on Tar Heels Discord community, that's another great place to uh, connect and have um, some mourning together after loss. We'd love to see you there. The link for that is in the show notes. So here's what we do in these live postcasts if you're new to it. We'll go through kind of four things. We'll have an ad read, about four more things. And then I'm going to take some questions and comments from the live chat. So make sure you're hopping in there and giving your observations. That thing is always going off. So let's start here. I do want to legitimately start with something positive, And then we'll get to some of the critiques and some other positive things as well. Regardless of the result, and I wrote this down as the game was still going. So that even if I felt poopy, when it was all said and done, we would still talk about it. So let's say this. Regardless of how this game turned out, North Carolina was down 16 points at 41 to 25. In the second half, they cut it down to two. Clemson went on a 7-0 run right after that. Carolina fights back, eventually ties it at 70 on a Harrison Ingram three, his first offensive possession back after going to see receive medical attention. There was 4.15 left at that point. It was the first time the game had been tied since 2-2. Two to two. The problem is, Carolina, to that point, had never had a lead, and they never got it. Literally, for the first time this season, Carolina did not only not have a double-digit lead in an ACC game, they did not have any lead in an ACC game. That is tough. So Clemson goes on a 7-0 run after Carolina tied it and uh, then uh, just kind of salted it away at the free throw line. Carolina couldn't do enough to win. But I I do want to say, what fight, what resolve from Carolina to get back, to push back, but in some ways it almost felt like the, uh, the final four loss in 2008 to Kansas where Carolina had just dug that really, really deep hole fought really hard to get back in it, and then just never could get over the top and just eventually ran out of gas. And that's tough to do on a night when you're shorthanded, which obviously we'll talk about as well. So great resolve from Carolina to fight back, but ultimately too big a hole. And that's where we want to go next. The second thing I want to talk about is Carolina has now sandwiched that Duke win in between two Tuesday night losses in games that, frankly, the Tar Heels feel like they should have won and that we all feel like they should have won. Again, though, life happens. Um, 
but still, it's like it's frustrating because you know that Georgia Tech game was within your grasp. This game, despite the big early deficit, this game was within your grasp as well. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Coach Pat Kilby and I warned about this possibility on today's episode, full episode of Locked on Tar Heels. If those of you who listened to it know that was a reality. We discussed, hey, what's going to happen tonight when a desperate Clemson team that has lost six of their last nine comes into this game against a Carolina team working to refocus following Saturday's emotionally and physically taxing win over Duke. And you saw the result of it. Clemson gets out to this quick lead. I mean, it was double-digit deficit for the Tar Heels before you knew what happened. It was wild. Both teams got a bucket on their first possession. And then Clemson, I, if I remember correctly, I'll have to go um, put all the notes together for tomorrow's full show. If I remember correctly, uh, Clemson hit seven of their first eight shots, and I believe three of those were threes. And Carolina just wasn't ready for that smoke. And so then before you knew what hit you, you're out of the game and you're playing catch up then literally the entire rest of the game. And it's one of those where just kind of the clock ran out before Carolina could get over the hump. Um, and so that that is what it is, because Coach Pack and I also asked the question. All right. So what happens if Clemson punches Carolina in the face? How do they respond to that? And Carolina did respond. But here's the here's the good thing. If you're Clemson, man, they just kept punching, kept fighting and um, never every every push Carolina gave them. They responded in some way. Tough to swallow for us, but really good for Clemson. Now, part of why Carolina was not ever, ever able to get over the hump is what I want to go to third. And that was Clemson's offensive rebounding and second chance points down the stretch. Um, man. This hurt Carolina in a big, big way. I mean, the Tar Heels, it just felt like would do a great job of getting that first stop against Clemson and then couldn't do anything the rest of the way. I don't I don't know if you felt that way, but man, it felt that way to me. To me. Now, here's what's funny. When you look at the final box score, Clemson actually only had one more second chance point than did the Tar Heels. Um, it was, sorry, let me get back to the box score here. Um, it was, sorry, 13 second chance points for Clemson and 12 for the Tar Heels. And so that doesn't feel like to the eyeball test that we just witnessed, there was a much bigger margin, but here's why it felt that way. Clemson in the first half of this game had zero, uh, sorry, that's the Carolina, um, Clemson in the first half had zero second chance points and got all 13 in the second half. So don't let the box score lead you astray. Let your eyes, what, what felt like Clemson was getting every offensive rebound and put back plus a foul, that was real. And it was felt in the second half when in the second half, Clemson led Carolina in second chance points, 13 to six. There was like multi, like when we have tomorrow's full show, I'll go through and talk about all of it. But there were just play after play after play. Some of them was just Clemson out hustling or, or getting a lucky bounce. But then, and I don't want to bag on Armando because he had a phenomenal game. But there was one play where Clemson gets a shot up, and Armando just kind of sits there, not doesn't find PJ Hall and get a body on him, and PJ just gets a pretty easy putback over the top. That hurts, man. You cannot allow that to happen. 
and the Tar Heels just did over and over and over again. So kudos to Clemson for doing those things, but Carolina, Carolina has to end every defensive possession with a rebound. And I mean, I know the opposition's going to get those here and there, but Carolina in the second half did not do a good enough job stopping Clemson getting to the offensive glass. That's got to improve. And I thought, frankly, in the second half, if Carolina even cuts those in half, the Tar Heels win this basketball game. That to me was a critical key of the second half. Um, another key, this is the fourth thing, and then we'll take our break and then get to some more observations as well. Number four, we learned just before tip-off, like in the 30 minutes before the game tipped, that Seth Trimble was going to be unavailable for this game. Um, you know, as is the case now, we don't get much specificity with injury news. It's usually just upper body or lower body. So as we record this, we still only know that it was an upper body injury suffered in practice on Monday. I'm sure Coach Davis in the post-game presser will talk about it, but we like to get to these live postcasts as quickly as possible. So um, I'm sure he'll talk about it, and then we'll be able to discuss that more in detail, hopefully some sort of timeline for how long Seth is out on tomorrow's full show. But I bring it up in now and in this context to say it was clearly missing for Carolina. They missed their sixth man in a big way in this game. And, and we'll talk after the second about the guys who stepped in and did, frankly, an admirable job of that. But nobody on this team does the same things Seth Trimble does. Um, he just brings a, a versatility and athleticism that Carolina was clearly, clearly missing in this game. And uh, look, that just is what it is, right? Like that's sports. Sometimes you're going to have to deal with that kind of adversity. And then you're going to have to get back on the horse and figure out like other guys are going to have to step up and make plays. That is sports. That is athletics. So I, I don't want to hear us be moaning and whining. We've faced teams all year that have guys missing or out. Um, but hear me saying that it really critically hurt Carolina to not have Seth's ability to guard Joe Girard, who had a great night shooting for Clemson. You know, I mean, they we talked about like, hey, there's no way Clemson's going to go one of 18 from three again. And they didn't. They went 11 for 31. Big, big, big difference. Joe Girard was five of 10 by himself from three. That hurts Carolina in a big way. Seth Trimble would have had something to say about that. Seth Trimble would have had this had something to say about some finishes at the rim or getting out in transition. Carolina missed their athletic six man doing all the various things that he does. All right. I want to talk about Carolina's turnovers. I want to talk about the guys that filled in for Seth Trimble and the job they did. And we'll get to all those things in just a second. But first, I need to tell you that this bonus episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Hey, happy Super Bowl week to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and then placing some super bets. FanDuel has a bunch of different ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win the game, the 49ers, by the way, are favored by two and a half, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. Uh, now, as we keep going on things, I'm going to add our. Um, 
box score from the game so that you can see it. If you're watching, if you're listening later, uh, you can pull up a box score maybe as you listen. Unless you're driving, don't do that. That's unsafe. All right, let's get into talking about first the guys that came in for Seth Trimble. Because again, they did perform admirably. Let me go to the box score and just read off some of what happened. Paxson Wojcik in this game uh, finishes with seven points. Two of four shooting, hit a big three in the first half. Maybe the most confident shot I've seen him take in a good while. Two of four from the free throw line. How about this? Six uh, six rebounds for Paxson Wojcik. Great stuff there. Had an assist and a steal. Um, and where is our guy Zayden High? Um, didn't play a ton of minutes, just five for Zayden, but finished with three points, had a nice tip in, had a steal, two rebounds, and critically, zero turnovers for him. Same with Paxson Wojcik, zero turnovers. And so really good stuff there. And it was interesting. Um, Paxson was the one that was the biggest beneficiary in terms of minutes played of Seth's. Paxson played 22 minutes of this game. Jalen Washington, 13. What was really surprising to me Quite frankly, my gut reaction, and I, I'm curious if you felt the same, I thought that Jalen Withers would be the one to take. I, I know he's a forward and Seth is a guard, but still the athleticism exchange that you get. Um, again, all due respect to Paxson Wojcik, he is not the athlete. He doesn't add things in the way that Seth Trimble does. And so I know you need a guard coming in. I just figured because of the athleticism that Jay Witt brings, similar to Seth, that we'd see a lot more of that. And we didn't. All that to say, again, really nice job from these guys, Pax and Wojcik in particular, just being ready when their number was called, when they know when they needed to step up, they did. Pax and Wojcik was aggressive. He attacked the the lane, got to the free throw line a couple times. Um, re really good stuff, and and it was at critical moments, right? He had a really good cut and layup, a uh, great pass from Cormac to him to cut it to fifty six fifty three. Then on Carolina's next possession, somewhere somewhere in there, um, he attacked, got to the free throw line, cut it to 56-54. So um, not only did Paxton have an impact, but it was at some critical moments in this game. Here's the thing. That is so helpful and important going forward. I promise you this. There are going to be other moments this season when these Tar Heels will need Paxton Wojcik to show up. And he showed tonight that he is willing and able to do so. Um, is he the same player Seth Trimble is? No. But does he have a lot of college basketball experience? Is he have an IQ that's high enough? Is he savvy enough to step in and do some things? Yes. And when his number's called, he'll come in and be ready. All right, next thing I want to mention is Armando Baycott. Um, had a critical, critical importance to the beginning of this game as Carolina was frankly getting run out the gym. And then Armando steps in and scores 12 of the Tar Heels' first 14 points. Really, really big time from Armando there. In fact, uh, not only that, he was 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Remember, Carolina, the last time they played Clemson, only took 12 free throws as a team. Armando took 12 Tonight, in the first Clemson matchup, Carolina only made seven free throws as a team. Armando made 10 by himself in this game, and he hit his first nine in a row. Really, really important stuff. Armando also had 24 points, 13 rebounds, so follows up that critical Duke performance with another big-time performance in this game. And again, really efficient from the field, seven of 13. That's over 50% shooting. 
I hope that this is a sign of things to come that um, Armando is able to do this. And frankly, it wasn't at the expense of RJ, who had 22 points himself, five of 12 from three. I know one of those was a meaningless three at the end, but still uh, really good stuff. Uh, and weirdly, RJ missed two free throws. He's just it's like he's missed one a game for a good long while now. But um, so anyway, just want to point out Armando again having a big time performance from the Tar Heels, stringing a couple double doubles back to back here together. We'll have to keep our eyes on how that goes. Next, I want to go to turnovers um, because Carolina, as we know, had struggled with those back to back road games and the turnovers, the Florida State away game and then the, the Georgia Tech loss at Atlanta last week. But man, have they done a phenomenal job taking care of the ball since then. On Saturday against Duke, do you remember what happened? Five total turnovers, one in the first half, four in the second half. You know what's wild from tonight? Literally the exact same thing. Carolina had five total turnovers, one in the first half, and then just four in the second. Pretty interesting stuff. And here's part of why that's important to me. Um, it was uh, of those, um, actually the number has grown to six now. I'm sorry, I, I had seen in early box. Um, the number is six now. And let me see if it's true. Yes. So one in the first half, five in the second half, I was just rechecking as we were looking. Um, but critically, um, two of those were Elliot's turnovers, but Cormac Ryan, four assists, zero turnovers, RJ Davis, five assists, zero turnovers. Uh, Armando had two turnovers and then the others, one from Harrison Ingram and the other for Jalen Washington. Unfortunately, that was kind of at a critical moment in the final minute or so of the game memory, just pitched it from the baseline to the backcourt. I think he was, if I remember correctly, just trying to find, he was getting kind of falling out of bounds and needed to just throw a pass. So really, really good job from Carolina holding on to the basketball, proud of them for that job. All right. And then the last thing I want to talk about before we get to uh, the comments and questions, and I see that there are a lot of them right now. The chat is going way, 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 way off. Um, is I want to talk about Cormac Ryan. Um, I just said, like, as always, he adds so many things, right? Like four assists, zero turnovers, had a rebound. Um, but he, and he would say this as much as I, as vehemently as I'm going to say it right now, the North Carolina Tar Heels in 2023-24 cannot reach their ceiling unless Cormac Ryan is able to shoot from outside. They're able to stem the tide sometimes. Thankfully, in this game, you had a three from Paxson Wojcik. That was, you know, that's like bonus cherry on the top. You had three more from Harrison Ingram. So that's eight in the last two games. RJ Davis had five. And so you have other guys doing it. But imagine if you have that. And then Cormac, instead of going 0 of 6 tonight, even goes 2 of 6. If he hits two of those, Carolina probably wins in a, wins this basketball. I mean, just by the score, that puts you up two in a game that you're down four. Now, I, I know it's loosey-goosey math with that, but you hear what I'm saying. Um, and, and the problem is they're good looks. He's taking them in rhythm. The, it's shots he needs to take, but they got to fall. And I, I know it's got to be so frustrating for him, as it is for all of us. Um, but unless Cormac Ryan can get there, the Tar Heels this season will not reach their ceiling. So hopefully uh, down the stretch, there are eight more ACC regular season games. He can find that consistent stroke 
and uh, we'll see what happens there. Last thing I do want to make sure to say now, and I want to say it again at the very end before we get out of here, is this for all of us. And this is, I'm talking to myself at the same time. Do not freak out by this result. We are in the, you know, like the dog days of summer. This is like the doldrums of late January, early February. This is just unfortunately what happens sometimes in the midst of college basketball seasons or, or NBA basketball, like guys lose their legs. You have things happening that, you know, who knows how the guys were emotionally impacted by missing Seth. Obviously you rally the troops and there's that kind of moment, but again, these are um, young men battling a lot of things that the season is not lost. Things are not over. Does it make things more difficult? Yes, absolutely. You lose at home for the first time. Uh, you lose, but again, to a desperate Clemson team that is better than they have shown of late, right? Uh, yes, they had lost six of nine and they had lost three of six, but those three losses, remember we talked about this today, were by a combined five points. They could have easily just been coming into this game on a 6-0 winning streak, right? And so it's like, this is a good basketball team. They just haven't put themselves in good position lately. So hear me again say, please do not freak out by this. But we do need a therapy session to unpack it together. So there was some good. There's some bad. There's things to learn from. And now Carolina has to go on the road down to Miami this Saturday. So um, there you go. Uh, just just got to deal with it. And you, you learn from it. And as Coach Dean Smith would say, then now we move on. All right, let's look at the chat and um, uh, see some questions or observations that we want to try to get um, and, and get what we have. Um, Lewis Stanford asked this question. Are the opponents focusing on certain weak, uh, weak links and winning that? This is, this is a really interesting question, Lewis. Here, here's what I would say for us. Um, and I'm going to leave the box score up, by the way, as we go through these conversations. Um, the deeper and deeper you get into ACC play, everyone knows anything. Everyone knows everything. And so I know your moves, I know your counter moves, and I know the counter moves to your counter moves. And you know the same for me. Armando Baycott knows all of PJ Hall's tendencies. PJ Hall knows all of Armando Baycott's tendencies. Sometimes it's just a factor of the, every, as Coach Williams will say, everything looks better when the ball goes through the net. For Clemson, they were one of 18 from the three-point line last time we played. This game, what did I just say it was? Uh, thir 13 of 33, 11 of 31. That is a lot, a lot different. Everything looks better when the ball goes through the hoop. Now, um, I thought something Clemson utilized really well was they, they went to that zone multiple times in the first and second half, and it really slowed Carolina down. Um, I think in the second half when they went to it was when Carolina had cut it to two and then they had a couple empty possessions and ultimately were able to go on that seven Oh run to push it back to nine. Um, and so L Lewis, there probably is some of that, but also some of it is just different night, different basketball game. And, um, so, so you got to rebound and come back. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. Um, Steven heels. What's up, Steven? This is our guy asks question. Could it be beneficial for the team and Cormac if Seth takes his starting spot and they switch minutes having Cormac come off the bench? Uh, Steven, my answer to that is no. I, I know, um, 
that there's a lot that Seth brings. I know that Cormac is struggling with his shot, but there's also a lot that Cormac adds to this team um, in terms of veteran savvy, in terms of distribution, in terms of having a little bit more height. Um, because again, you know, and, and RJ and Elliot have shown the ability to handle their lack of size well. But if you take, uh, in addition to RJ and Elliot being six foot and six one, if you also take your six, five small forward off and exchange him for a six, three guy, you can mix that in, in the midst of the game. And, and it's great depending on lineups, but man, that, that really kind of puts you behind the eight ball. And, and I know right now we're just saying this because, um, Cormac shot, like, I think this question is solely coming from, and it would come from me too, of Cormac not hitting consistently from the outside, but he continues to do all the other things. It's kind of similar to, um, like in baseball, uh, if a guy's struggling at the plate, you want him to keep taking his cuts. You, you don't pull him out of the starting lineup. I'm a big Braves fan. And, and I know that Brian Snitker like is loyal almost to a fault with guys like last year, um, Marcelo Zuna had a great spring training. And frankly, he was terrible, miserable at the plate in April. And then he just went on a tear and was one of the best DHs in all of baseball last year because Snitker let him work out of it. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to Cormac Ryan down the stretch of this season. I don't, you know, I'm not saying he's going to get on fire from three, but I think that Coach Davis really wants to stick with him. I think that Coach Davis really likes the energy and defense and athleticism that Seth brings off the bench to, to kind of switch some of that. So, Stephen, ultimately, I think it is worth taking a look at, right? Like, it's always worth considering stuff like this, but ultimately, I think the answer is going to be no for that. All right. Um, let's keep looking for some more observations and questions from you. Um, and scrolling down through looking for, um, some other stuff. Uh, yeah, 400 bones. I, we, we kind of talked about this sentiment a little bit ago, but I want to say it again, own the loss and move forward and don't look back get better. Uh, this isn't exactly quoting coach Dean Smith, but it is that kind of thing rather than sulking because of this, rather than blaming other people or the other team or the refs or whatever, which thankfully Carolina actually got a couple calls tonight. What do you know? Uh, we'll, we'll take it. Um, man, it, it just happens. So, um, but this is what you do. You look at yourself in the mirror and you say, where could I have been better tonight? You look at your teammates in the face and say, where could we have been better tonight? You have to own that accountability. That's a critical part. And because of the chemistry this team has, they're going to be able to do that. And so now you have to, as 400 Bone says here, own it and you move forward. But then you goldfish it, as Ted Lasso would say, you don't look back. You just look ahead to Miami on Saturday. They are stinging coming off that 38 performance, 38 point performance on Monday night against Virginia. And you know, they're going to be rearing to go down in Coral Gables, which is going to be yet another tough game for Carolina. And so um, just, just got to be ready to go with that. Um, Jake asks, how many freaking layups did UNC miss? Jake, I'll tell you, let me get into the box square here. Home stats, um, layups, 10 of 22. So Carolina, was under 50% on layups in this game, missed 12 of them. 
folks, that ain't good. Uh, when you get to the rim, you need to hit those shots. Um, and, and it's tough. So that, that's a great observation there um, from Jake. Just want to, uh, that's, that's a great point from him. Um, let's keep scrolling down here um, to get a, a few other observations and questions from you guys. Um, Rob M says it, look, we've avoided the injury so far. One of the reasons we have played so well, hope it doesn't catch up to us. Um, look, there are always nicks and cuts and bruises. Um, but yeah, I agree. Prior to prior to Trimble being out, you know, Carolina, knock on everybody, knock on all the wood that you have anywhere around you. Um, like has been able to avoid this injury bug for most of this season. Um, and I'm not going to name names cause I don't want to jinx them, but guys that have missed games in previous seasons, um, did not this far this season. And so, uh, just got to kind of deal with that. Um, so there it is. Shadow computing says, am I being paranoid to think that a major midseason collapse is coming down the pike? Um, yes. Uh, this team is too experienced. They have too much talent. They have too much chemistry to fall apart because shadow computing. The reason to me that this happens, that you, that you get mid season letdowns or collapses from teams is because things look good on the surface, but they're not connected enough together to be able to withstand a loss of this nature or the loss at Georgia tech last week. Because of this team's connectivity, because of their experience, because of their willingness to hold together and play for one another and the, the name on the front of the shirt, I'm not concerned about that. Now, shadow computing, that doesn't mean they're not going to lose again. They very well could, and they very well will. I, I'm just going to tell you, there, there will be at least one more ACC loss this season. But but one of the things we need to recognize is that this is just what happens in the course of a season. Remember UConn last year? There was a stretch in from New Year's Eve, I'm looking at their schedule, through January 25th, where they lost six of eight. Six of eight. And then they turned it on, uh, basically February on, they were rocking and rolling again. So this, this could just be a two games out of three skid. It could have a couple more, but yeah, shadow computing to your question. I think it is a paranoid thing. Uh, so I, I myself am not concerned about that. If you want to be totally, totally understand that. Um, but, but it is not something, uh, that, that we should be concerned with going forward long-term. All right. Um, we're getting up to 30 minutes here. So, um, let me just take maybe one or two more and then we'll get out of here. And if there's other questions, I will look to address them on Wednesday show. Garrett Clemens says Withers has done nothing past few games. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Unfortunately for Jalen Withers, his minutes have come way down and I don't obviously, cause we're not in practice. I don't know if it's an issue of what he's been doing or frankly not doing in practice. I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, if he has been, uh, less involved when he has been in. Obviously, the numbers have been down. The minutes have been down. I'm pulling up his game log as we talk here. Um, in the last several games, not, not including tonight, um, 
He's played against Duke, played 10 minutes, Georgia Tech, seven. And before that, you know, it was 10, 17, 14, 24, 13, 12. Left. So those numbers really swelled there for a while, crescendoing to that Louisville game, which I would say was his best game of his Carolina career. And it's just kind of tapered then. In the uh, six games since Louisville, he scored nine points, Boston College, and then five, zero, zero, two. And then tonight, Jay Witt, um, had zero points again. So, um, yeah, Garrett, you're on there. Um, just has not been contributing either from scoring or rebounding to the same level he did against Louisville or even in that Boston college game right after that. So it is something to keep an eye on. Is it because, um, we're seeing so much more of Seth, but I really expect coach Davis to use both Jalen's to a higher degree. And, and he's just not right now. And so, uh, that that is a little concerning for me. I, I will say my eyebrows are a little bit raised on that one. Rob M asks, is it me or does this team struggle against the zone more than any UNC team in recent memory? I was thinking the exact same thing tonight, Rob. Um, you know, we talked about uh, just a little bit ago, Clemson's zone slowing down the Tar Heels a little bit. And what was odd about that is Carolina has historically you know, at least, you know, thinking in the Roy Williams era in the first couple of years of the coach Davis era been phenomenal against the two, three zone, you know, flashing somebody to the high post there where the ACC logo is getting there playing through that high post, whether it's kickouts to the wings or corners or getting somebody running baseline back behind that back line of the, the two, three zone. And at least specifically tonight against Clemson, the Tar Heels weren't insistent on doing that. They needed to be, and they weren't. I, I don't know if it was like, I, I don't think it was for a lack of, for a, an, an issue I, of identifying that the zone, because I mean, clearly you can see you're being guarded differently. You know the zone, but it's like, if I'm, if I'm Harrison Ingram, for example, the second I recognize that I am sprinting to that ACC logo so that Elliot or RJ or whomever can get me the ball and I can distribute. Like he is prime candidate to be phenomenal against the two, three zone. Cormac is another candidate for that as well. Whether it's the big to big game, get, you know, maybe even getting Jalen Washington in there or, or whatever it may be. Um, but Carolina just was not effective in those zone possessions tonight. So um, that is really tough. All right, let's see if we've got anything else um, that we want to hit on before we get out of here tonight. Um, I, I've not seen any other questions I want to tackle. So I'll just say this once again, I want to remind us all <laughs> to not freak out. This is two losses in three games. And so I get that. It feels like this is not good, but let's let things continue to unfold. It's a very long season. There's still eight regular season games. And we talked about how tough the back half of this schedule was going to be. Unfortunately, we didn't necessarily think it would be, at Georgia Tech and home to Clemson. So it continues to be difficult. But Carolina will prevail. This team is too talented, too old, and too connected to let something like this stop their aspirations for this season. So, like, let you and I, same thing. Let us stay connected to this team. Let us not freak out. Let us continue to encourage and cheer them on. Do all the things, right? Like, and I know they may or may not hear and or see any of that. But like Armando talks about it all the time. I see all this stuff out there, right? And so um, stay on this wagon. 
This is such a fun season. It's such a fun ride. And you don't want to miss out because it's like, ah, we missed it. And so now we're sulking and whatever. I get it. Like, let's live in the ugh of this. Like, I feel bad. I hate losing this basketball game. But don't let that mire what is an incredible basketball season. All right. All right. I'm going to go get all the stats put together, figure out what we're going to talk about for Wednesday's full show. And then uh, on Thursday, Coach Rob and I will be together kind of looking back at this a little more. we got some other things we want to talk about as well. Can't wait to talk with you there. Hey, look, I know we all needed a therapy session, but even with the loss, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. We will talk again on Wednesday morning. But until then, peace.